The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Coming up after 10.15, a sex tech, our monthly feature looking at uh, technology and its impact on our relationships and sex and love. Uh, coming up, uh, we'll talk about Canadian laws against revenge porn and how to keep your connected sex toys safe. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your texts are always welcome. Connect with passion at 514 800 don't forget, you can also send me your emails uh, to laurie at drlaurie.com. Uh, let's see. It exists. This texter just wrote in. It exists uh, different emotions, levels during sex. One is point of no return, but what are the other ones? I, I'm not un- understanding your question. What do you mean the different emotions? The point of no return is not an emotion. It's a physiological uh, happening where men experience, um, where they get to a point of arousal where they cannot stop the ejaculation from happening. And that is the point of no return. So I'm not sure in terms of emotions. Some people feel very emotional during their sexual activity simply because it's, uh, there's, it feels there's a lot of vulnerability in, in the experience. For some people, they experience that emotion at the point of orgasm because it's a complete letting go. So some people will cry uh, and uh, like a flood of emotions will come out. Some people even say they will laugh. Uh, so it just opens that floodgate for, for, uh, some people, but so if you want to specify to me what you mean exactly, I'll be happy to, uh, to answer you on that. I'm a 27 year old female in the past year. I've seen my libido decrease quite significantly. I never had this problem before and I'm not sure what to do. It has been affecting my relationship. So the first question I would want to know is what has changed in, uh, in your life? 27 years old. Are you in a new uh, career? Uh, are you experiencing more stress? You're like a full grown adult now. Uh, do you have a lot more responsibility? Um, more fatigue because of maybe a stressful uh, job. So I would look at your environment before anything else, before looking at anything physical uh, wrong with you. I would also ask you about your mood. So is um, are you feeling depressed in any way? Is there any other signs of depression? Low libido could be a, is one symptom of depression, but so is loss of appetite, uh, sluggishness, um, a lot of fatigue, things like that. So are those things happening as well? The important thing is when we experience a big change in our sexuality, you need to look for the underlying cause. To me, that's a symptom of something else and understanding it goes a long way to um, to fixing the problem as well. So the other thing I would ask is, are you in a long-term 
relationship for the first time because oftentimes women in long-term relationships, uh, it kind of changes. Instead of having more spontaneous desire, they'll, they'll have more responsive desire so that their libido won't be necessarily spontaneous. They won't they won't just be aroused out of the blue. Uh, they will need uh, to get to get into the sexual experience before the desire kind of kicks in. So I'm not sure what is going on here. Which so when you write to me, if especially if you email me, give me more details, and it will help me, uh, you know, see uh, what's what a little bit more. Another low libido question. This one makes sense. Uh, my wife and I are married almost 30 years. My question is she has had no sex drive. What can be done? So my guess is that your wife is going through menopause. If you're married 30 years, I'm guessing she's somewhere in her 50s. And she's probably going through um, the, the, the change. Uh, so part of menopause is certain discomforts. I'd want to ask her, like, what's going on with her? Part of it is, uh, yes, you can, your libido could decrease, but here is a good example of uh, spontaneous uh, desire versus responsive desire because many women, even postmenopausally, don't necessarily have spontaneous sexual desire, but if you put them in a situation, in a sexual situation, they will respond. So these women will often say, if I ask them, well, what happens when you have sex? Do you enjoy it? They'll often say, yes, I, I thoroughly enjoy it, and, and it's great. Uh, it's just getting there. So you've got to uh, work at getting to that place. So what does she need in her environment to be able to say yes to sex? So part of that is also what does she need from you? Does she need more non-sexual attention? Uh, does she need more support, more help? Something like that. Uh, I would like to experiment with prostate stimulation devices, i.e. vibrator. My concern is, could this be considered still a heterosexual activity? It is an. It is a non uh, orientation related activity. It has nothing to do with whether you're gay, straight, or anything in between. Uh, anybody can enjoy anal sexual play. Uh, straight men, straight women, homosexual men, gay women, it's all, it, it's just another body part that uh, when stimulated, well, of course, you're talking about prostate, so let's say for men, but even for women, anal play is something that they can find enjoyable. Not everybody, but uh, some do. So uh, yes, there are, there, there are absolutely uh, sex toys that are made for uh, prostate stimulation, just like there are sex toys made for G-spot stimulation, the equivalent to the female um, prostate. And so 100%, yes, this is a heterosexual activity as well. Many straight men will enjoy anal play, sex toy, fingers, etc. Okay? So it doesn't it says nothing about your orientation. I'm repeating it because it's important that you uh, understand that. Um, my husband, uh, my husband's penis skin is often dry just at the end. What can he do? So remember the the the, the it is skin. So you can have 
skin, dry skin anywhere on your body. Uh, And what he could do is moisturize. (laughs) So, uh, for example, maybe at night, put on some, uh, like a Vaseline type of, um, um, like for chapped skin, uh, Vaseline or Aquaphor is a good, uh, is a brand that's used for irritated skin or what have you. Uh, So you would, you can moisturize that area just like you can moisturize your elbows uh, with uh, with dry skin right there. Uh, all right, last question. I want to go out with a 16-year-old, but is that too young? I am 20 years old. Then this is the interesting part. And she said no. What can I do? No means no. You let go. Go away. Um, first of all, the age of sexual consent is 16. So a 16 year old, uh, can choose to go out with any of somebody of any age. So there's, there's that, but do not persist. Somebody says, no, you go away. Otherwise you become creepy and scary. And this is, uh, the worst thing you can do. And no, that uh, would not, would not be good. Coming up, Canadian laws against revenge porn. This is something really scary these days uh, with the internet and with the technologies that we have, how revenge porn is being used. And uh, I have a a client that uh, told me about a situation that she experienced, and that was kind of scary. So um, we're going to talk about that with Dr. Jason Behrman on our sex tech uh, segment. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Sex Tech Tonight, uh, once a month, Dr. Jason Behrman joins me. He is a specialist in artificial intelligence and technology and always brings us some goodies to think about, um, some solutions to things, sometimes really scary situations with no apparent solutions, and so they just leave you kind of ah, in a panic. Uh, so hopefully tonight we have some better news. I don't know. Uh, so... Dr. Jason. Hi, Laurie, and everybody listening out there. <laughs> this is uh, our last one of uh, 2019. Uh, there uh-huh. we go. More to come in uh, 2020. Yeah, yeah. We'll see what uh, changes. But it seems like so we've been seeing each other here every month for I don't know how long it's been, maybe a Over year. Over two, two years Two years now. now, yeah, two years. And there's always something new that comes up, right? Yes. And this is how fast things are uh, Things are moving. Uh, we've brought the 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 the, um, uh, the topic of revenge porn up a few times. For our listeners who don't know what that is, do you want to kind of describe what that is? Yeah, so we have raised this topic several times on Passion before, and one topic related to revenge porn was um, asking about like what you can do to protect yourself and also what kind of laws are out there. And I was never able to give like a really straightforward answer because I didn't do enough research, but there's been a few... Um, <clears throat> it's, it's more common reporting, I guess you could say, by the CBC, I'm noticing lately. And so I want to bring that uh, to light for the listeners. And what it is, is when you have an intimate relationship with someone, and 
you know, like in, it's quite common in relationships. Uh, after a certain amount of time, sometimes you like to take uh, intimate let's photos. Let's do our together. own porn video yeah, kind of thing. Okay. Let's take some intimate photos together or maybe some some racy videos together. And, you know, that's something that you share together as a couple. Right. And, you know, what not meant with? for public viewing. Absolutely not uh-huh. meant for public viewing. But then, lo and behold, the relationship sours. And then that person uh, either uses the those uh, di- that kind of digital content to either threaten you, blackmail you, or uh, put it online, and uh, they could pretty much turn your life upside down. And some of these cases, uh, it's primarily women, but not exclusively. So mm-hmm. we all want to keep that in mind. Um, some of the people that have been targeted for revenge porn by uh, former uh, malicious lovers, um, some of these women ended up uh, committing suicide. Even some teenagers ended wow. up committing suicide after uh, the content of them was released broadly online. And, you know, we live in a digital age and people have to understand the power and the pain and devastation sharing digital content online can be. Mm -hmm. So in one case that I'm going to refer to here today, um, one image of a woman was shared online over, it was viewed online over 1.5 million times. So it's one photo of her that one uh, former lover posted on sites that are widely available and that's just one photo 1.5 million views so you can imagine how this could be really devastating to your reputation even your career etc etc so what can we do about it well since 2015 canada so the federal government actually made a specific law they made amendments to our privacy laws to account more for this type of criminal act Mm -hmm. of revenge porn so it makes it illegal for you to share um, like a non-consensual sharing of intimate photos so if it's a photo that is however you define intimate mm-hmm. and it's a photo which, some which nudity means, usually or something's going on right? so it's a so. bit wishy-washy but usually if the photo it looks like something that you would not want to be displayed in public right it's you, not like you in a bikini no okay it would be a little a little more than that but can I just say, like, you'd have to know that your partner has done, your ex-partner has done that. Mm-hmm. In certain cases that I have known, they found out way later, like somebody alerted them yeah. to say that I saw this video of you, uh, you know, online. Like, if you think about it, there are millions of porn sites. Mm-hmm. So, like, it, you'd have to know before you could do anything about it. The scary part I think for a lot of people is they won't know if their partner is doing it or not. Like, mm-hmm. how do you search for it? You know, mm-hmm. to make sure that you're not appearing online. Yeah. So it's sometimes it, it, uh, this comes to light if you're a victim of revenge porn only, you know, a few months after the deed has been done. And then, you know, the content is pretty much all over the internet. Yes. And there's no way you could put it back. But I'm, I'm looking at another case here. So I'm going to describe. So um, the fact that these laws have been on the books now and they're evolving, and that's what we're going to describe, is now we start to have some precedents because there's people that have actually been charged successfully oh, good. using these new legislations, which okay. is really f- fascinating. Mm-hmm. So there was one guy who was an obviously a predator, and he did revenge porn on like four ex-lovers. And uh, they were able to uh, bring him to court, and he actually pleaded guilty uh, for criminal charges of revenge porn. But what's interesting now is that an increasing number of provinces across Canada have made amendments to their civil code, or to tort law, which enables you as a victim to sue a person for damages. Oh, 
Okay. So you could sue them for like economic and psychological damages that was caused to you. Um, so outside of criminal criminal court and like the the rules or like the standards to prove someone guilty in tort law are are more lenient. I guess you could mm-hmm. say it's easier because like a, a criminal case. You bring a case against someone who poses a threat to society, and you have to prove beyond reasonable doubt that they are guilty of doing some kind of crime. Right. And sometimes that could be a bit tricky, where they could pull a fast one on you and say, well, that image wasn't really necessarily intimate, or uh, prove to me that that wasn't consensual, where you said that I was not allowed to uh, Mm -hmm. share it it online. Right. Well, now, if you can prove in many uh, jurisdictions across Canada... Since 2018, many provinces started to make these amendments. If you could prove that that person shared an image of you that was an intimate image, that is good enough for you to sue them. Okay, it doesn't matter that you consented, didn't consent, or no. What it have has you. to be that you did not consent to them. Right. Doing well, that, you would but, say you didn't consent, but they yeah. can't co- turn around and say, "Yeah, but you told me I could." Well, show mm. me the proof that I said I could. Mm-hmm. Right. They would yeah. have to show either a text message or an email saying, "Sure, put my picture up uh, online. Let's have fun with that." Mm-hmm. So the the reason why I, I just wanted to go back is like, well, how do you know if this is happening to you? Well, in this case that I'm referring to, where this this man pleaded guilty to committing this act, he posted intimate images of former sexual partners but also he posted in a with full malicious intent their addresses and other personal <gasps> information oh, wow. in order to quote to cause them maximum harm wow so so There's uh some yeah. real jerks out there <laughs> he was a real jerk and you know what he got 18 months in jail yeah, not enough in my mm-hmm. books. Well, s- now in Canada you can go up to 5 years in prison for uh doing this. For act. doing this. Is okay. it working? Yeah, is it? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Is it so working? So that's the question. It's like um, revenge porn seems to be on the rise, and this does not seem to be a good enough deterrent. So this is why a lot of uh, pr- provinces are coming forward, and they're saying, you know what? We're going to up the ante, and we're going to add another deterrent, which is amendments to the civil code so you could sue the pants off the person right. who does this to you. And so uh, the first one was a Manitoba. So it set precedence, and it was uh, one one of the first cases that was brought to court um, was actually a female police officer who sued uh, a, another woman. Oh, wow. So it's not just a guy-on-woman right. kind of thing. Right, right, right. Um, and then Saskatchewan made amendments, and uh, Newfoundland and Labrador are making the changes. Same with uh, Quebec I, and, and Ontario. You know, I, I'm hoping ta- us talking about it will, will help deter some people or, mm-hmm. around that, but I just think that there are some uh, people who are posting this stuff who don't, think anything can happen to them yes so this is what i want the listeners to know okay if you think that you or or you're being uh, blackmailed or threatened by a former partner and they're they're stating like i'm going to ruin your reputation through revenge porn or something like that fight back Try to get evidence of uh, this kind of conversation that you're having with them, Uh, preferably have a reliable witness there, and you tell them, listen, I'm going to sue the pants off you if you do this, and then we'll we'll, we'll talk about a criminal case even down down the line, because Mm -hmm. we have these laws now, and there has precedence been set, and uh, they seem to be working. So if somebody's threatening you, you threaten back. Right. It's scary. I have a a client who was with, uh, who left a, a, a partner who was a real psychopath and unfortunately there were a lot of images that he has kept of her and he had her do all kinds of sexual stuff and Mm. it was a very complicated situation but nonetheless this guy has a lot of stuff and she finally had the courage uh, to leave after catching him in all kinds of stuff and he's like 
he's not a nice person. And her fear has been uh, that he's going to do this, but not scared enough to stay. But yeah. still, there's a, a situation, you know, for her, it's like, okay, when when is this going to, when is the, sh- the shoe going to drop? Like, when when is it all going to happen and fall on my head, right? And yeah. She, she's got a good job. She has a, reputa- a good reputation and all of this stuff that it's pretty scary when mm-hmm. you think about it. Like, hey, beware who you date, too. <laughs> like, yeah. And maybe the answer is don't do it. Just don't. you got to refuse to do this, even if at this moment you're trusting your partner. Yeah, we all go through that honeymoon period, eh? So yeah. uh, that that fades. And, exactly. And who knows, you know, five years down the line what's going to happen. Right. This texter wants to know, Jason, yeah. is revenge porn the actual description of the criminal act? Uh, it's it's that's the vernacular. So they, I believe, oh gosh, I have to look in my my notes here, but it's Canada's Privacy Act or something. So it's that in they the Privacy Act, I believe. So don't quote me on that. I'm gonna have to check again. All it's right, well, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, you'll check and you'll. We'll find so just it. just to conclude here, though. Um, this this is like a, a positive step forward, and mm-hmm. hopefully we're going to have to wait and see when there's more cases that are brought to the courts and, and resolved, like how well it's working, if we can actually reverse the tide of revenge porn that's happening. But some people, so one legal scholar, for example, has criticized the laws, and um, they're saying that it puts too much emphasis on the victim. So there was a PhD student in law named Moira uh, Aikenhead, and she says that we need to look at revenge porn more as like a domestic violence kind of situation, Mm -hmm. because she says the vast majority of victims of revenge porn are women, and it's usually perpetrated by men, Mm -hmm. and they use the revenge porn very similar to other forms of abuse. To control. To control and to intimidate. And so she is arguing rather convincingly that... Um, this is not just an issue about, you know, you violated my privacy or I did not consent no, to the sharing. No, this is abuse. This is a, this is a form of abuse. She's saying that this is a form of violence and I, it should I, be akin to physical violence, emotional, psychological and sexual violence in the home. I am 100 uh, percent on that. Absolutely. It is absolutely a form of violence. It is another way to control and to bring down somebody. Mm-hmm. How could that not be violent? I don't know. It's just uh, this is an ongoing debate in society today as what what actually constitutes violence. And many people are adamant that violence constitutes some kind of physical aggression. But other people are saying it's like, no, we need to expand the definition now where violence can be also uh, akin to psychological intimidation. And and something Mm non-consensual. We talked about this before, like receiving unsolicited uh, penis pictures. Like to me, that that's a violation. It's Mm -hmm. a violation. So we have to look at it as rather than violent, but a a serious violation. Uh, Coming up, we'll talk about um, keeping your connected sex toys safe. That's after we check in with the CJD 800 Newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. From the pleasure and the politics to the hangups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Our sex tech feature tonight with Dr. Jason Behrman, who is a specialist in artificial intelligence and technology. Um, you ever wonder about your sex toys? You know, these days, sex toys are all connected to, you, to your phone. There's like their remote, like you can, contr- your partner can control them from an app. Like they have become really sophisticated. Um, do you ever think like who... How that in, is there? Is that information going somewhere? Are people 
getting that information? Like, and who cares? Like, what kind of information do they, they want to know how many orgasms you had? Like, why is that important? Why do we need to care? Well, Jason, you're going to tell us why we need to care, right? (laughs) Well, on several uh, previous episodes on Passion, we were describing about how all these connected uh, new sex toys out there, uh, quite often they're developed by people who are really great at making connected devices, but are completely oblivious when it comes to cybersecurity. Mm. And many people have been able to hack these devices and gain personal information about you. Like what? Number of orgasms you had? Well, remember the controversy with WeVibe, for example, where all the data about people's masturbation schedules from all around the world (laughs) was kind (laughs) of hacked and somebody got access to all that information. And what are they going to do with that information? Imagine if it could be tied back to your name and you're a prominent politician or someone. Oh, yeah, that's true. Or you're married to someone and they don't know that you're having a long distance affair through WeVibe with somebody in Mm -hmm. Lagos, Nigeria. Like, Mm -hmm. who knows, you know? (laughs) um, This this has happened, these problems. And people have also, on on a past episode, I was describing how easy it was for... Um, one group of white hat hackers are called. So these people, these are people that hack into systems for good to find security flaws and then right. alert people before something really bad happens. Right. And like how easily they were able to hack into a, a dating app or a hookup app for threesomes, remember? Oh, yeah. I was telling you. And they got the threesome information of like millions of people. <laughs> And this could be a huge invasion of your privacy and really problematic. Right. And so there's few consumer protections. And many consumers out there, they don't even know what questions to ask, like a manufacturer, to assess whether or not some new device that's coming on the market is is safe. So, like, what are you going to do? Well, which is very common in the tech sector, we have something called crowdsourced innovation or, or like crowdsource initiatives. So you could get a gang of people together online with uh, very few resources, and you could all work together to try to solve uh, pressing problems in the tech sector or do assessments on different kinds mm. of systems out there and see how robust they are in terms of cybersecurity. Lo and behold, there is a community now. And it's called the Internet of Dongs community. The, the, <laughs> so the Internet of Dongs. Internet of Dongs. <laughs> so it's uh, the website. You should check it out. It's pretty good. It's called Internet of Dawn dot GS. So the whole word spells Internet of Dongs. And uh, yeah, <laughs> they have come together. And uh, they will do assessments on different kinds of sex toys out there and try to uh, find their vulnerabilities and they will publish them online. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, they will work in, in conjunction with manufacturers to help them solve these problems. A lot of this is uh, supported by Pornhub, by the mm-hmm. way, to oh, promote a greater cybersecurity in the sex uh, tech industry. And um, like before, it was it was a very troublesome kind of situation because let's say you were a tech expert and you found a vulnerability in one of these toys like what do you do like who do you yeah who do you speak to who do you speak to like do you send an email at like you know (laughs) info.dong.com and say like hey i found a way to hack into your toy and gain like all this information Uh about like my neighbor you know what do you do what do you know so now they have this like platform and it allows people to collaborate and they also came together and they've published a list of like standards 
and questions for consumers like yourself to ask people or to um, ask a, 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 a producer of some of these toys mm-hmm. like to, to make an assessment so you can make an informed decision as to whether or not you want to use it. Right. And um, it, it, it's open. The platform is open. So if you are a manufacturer of adult toys, um, you could collaborate with them, like voluntarily submit your products to them and ask them to do assessments or um, engage Smart. in some kind of dialogue with them so that you can get like a certification saying, hey, working with the Internet of Dongs crowd, um, we understand that we have to meet certain uh, standards for cybersecurity and we have done the following. Boom, 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 boom. And then the Internet of Dongs people can actually verify that, which I thought was really cool. Very because cool. Because we don't have regulations really for this fast moving area of uh, consumer electronics. And so and you, you can't wait for the government to step in. You're right. going to need people with a mutual interest in making sure that these kinds of technologies and consumer products are safe. And also part of the problem is like, let's say you you get one of these and you know those contracts that, that come up for, you know, tons of words and like, okay, so, you know, just click here to agree to, to the terms. terms. And yeah. yeah, but nobody reads them. And mm-hmm. even if those things are, are there, not there, we make assumptions that things are safe. Mm-hmm. We make that that the, that they're cyber secure, and um, I don't know. Is it even written in the fine print that it's not secure in some of these things? Well, that wouldn't be in the it? print. Like, why would you ever well, say know, like, this but, device is not secure? But they do. That's interesting because that's one of the questions they tell consumers to ask, which is, "Bring me to the section of your terms and conditions that talks about privacy of user data, uh-huh. and explain to me in your own words what exactly you're doing." What kind of information are you connecting and how? And is it being like transmitted via an encrypted connection or something that would make it at least a little bit more difficult for people to like hack in and stuff? Well, when when the WeVibe thing happened, they fixed it. And they they also, like they did, they fixed their whole system. Maybe they used those guys, you know, and and, and found how to... How to do that. Uh, this texter wrote, keep sex toys safe at a dinner party and during coffee after dinner, the host's seven-year-old son comes into the living room with her vibrator and used a marker to make it look like a rocket ship. <laughs> keep toys out of sight, then keep them cyber secure. <laughs> well, that's, that's another. That's kind of cute. That's, that's the, okay, just put a lock in your drawer, people. It's really not that hard. That's right. Have, have, yeah, keep them away from the kids. That, but, uh, just right. to go over some of the questions before we run out of time here. Um, they asked for consumers to ask vendors. So uh, one of the questions is uh, uh, of the likes of, am I comfortable with any intimate data being sent over the internet regardless of the security measures in place? Mm-hmm. Ask yourself that as a consumer, okay? That's true. Do I, In other words, am I comfortable with someone, anyone, knowing how often I use this toy, for and, example? And like, is that feasible? Like, Can somebody actually decipher that by looking at the information that's gleaned from this device. Right. Some of them, it's impossible. It's impossible. Others, right. others, your it, name is like you don't if you don't register it or your name isn't attached or you don't use your profile. Well, right? yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's the second question they say is like ask them: Does the device software require you to submit an email address, a phone number, mm. or other personally identifying information in order for you to use it or register it? Right, yeah. especially um, because oftentimes they use apps, right? Yes. So you're downloading with the app store. If mm-hmm. I'm if I'm getting the app, mm-hmm. I have to use my thumbprint to access my apps, you know, or to 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 mm-hmm. to get an app, to download an app, let's mm-hmm. say. 
So they've got to know where who who's downloading the app. No, the phone uh, with your fingerprint that that's on the phone and it's unique to your phone. Um, the apps on your phone are not getting your biometric information. They're getting no information. They, they, so any of my you, apps. I don't know if you if you submitted any information in terms of a name, a phone number, uh, an no. email address in order to register stuff like that. Okay, so that's only if you only if they ask you that information to register with your name or or some other mm-hmm. information. Okay, there's other information that is being taken from your phone right now but that's like another topic of conversation but yeah there's multiple studies that show now that um third party people and other corporations are taking a heck of a lot of information from your phone without you knowing it and they're selling it to other people and and using it and quite often this happens around like two o'clock to four o'clock in the morning so that you're asleep and that you do not notice oh yes in the oh my goodness in in the washington post and uh the new york times there's been a few exposés now because we have apps now to track the people the malicious apps that are taking your information. Oh my goodness! And it's n- not good. Did because- you have to scare me again? Uh, she's uh- <laughs> bring it up because somebody was asking me. They're like, "Oh my gosh, all my data is over, and I barely used my phone. Why? Oh why? My- why, oh, wow. why is all my data why been spent?" That- and I sent them. It, it was it was actually my husband, and I was like, um, "Read this and be scared." <laughs> oh, yeah. No, don't send it to me. I'm, like, scared enough. Uh, coming up, Google had a problem with the word lesbian. They fixed it, but we'll talk about what it was with Dr. Jason Behrman, our specialist in artificial intelligence and technology on our uh, sex tech evening tonight. Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. Sex Tech tonight on the program. Dr. Jason Behrman, specialist in artificial intelligence and technology, is here. This text writes, so long as no names are attached, share your sex data. The overall overall data should be public. Who knows? Maybe Canada is the horniest country in the world. Oh. Another first. Uh, like, sharing data, like, I don't mind for science reasons, you know, yep. to see how many people access this, how many people this, or whatever it is. As long as there's no, you can't attach it to a specific person this kind of data collection like when i watch when i see pornhub analytics for example and how Mm -hmm. many you know they have billions of pieces of information from i mean they can tell you who's not who specifically but Mm -hmm. where the countries are that they're they're getting the most views what the search terms are they can give you all kinds of trends from this data but there's no names attached so it's it's safe it gets scary when you have to and this is where you have to beware is mm-hmm. just don't register stuff like that. Yeah, but it gets a bit more complicated than that. And so like a lot of the re- revelations that was made by uh, the very brave and admirable whistleblower Edward Snowden mm-hmm. shows that even data that is like anonymized, you could still trace it back to particular phones. Mm. If, if you are a powerful government or a very powerful co- corporation, there are means to get around even anonymized data sets. And we're also seeing now with advanced data analytic uh, capabilities we have today, we can superimpose um, disparate data sets, like uh, different kinds of information. We can layer one on top of the other on top of the other, and we can get pretty close to narrowing it down to like an individual. So like even though all 
all data X is all anonymized and you can't tell who is doing what when you overlay it with, you know, um, transport data of people moving in a certain area. And then you overlay that on like birthday data and mm-hmm. something else. All of a sudden now you start to figure out who's who. But who the hell wants to who's interested in me? You know, like I'm always thinking like if you're just like an ordinary citizen, like who's going to want to know? What you're doing? Probably no one. But if you start to become a troublemaker, like an activist uh, that oh. is trying to create social change and the government doesn't want that, or if you uncover something really salacious in a, a big and powerful corporation, um, there could be people that would really want I to keep you quiet. This. That's true. Um, you never know. There could be a stalker. There could be some other kind of weirdo person, but... I don't know. Data privacy is really, really important. And just to conclude what we were saying, um, yeah, you may want to share your data for research purposes. Uh, You may also want to sell your data because your data is actually worth a lot of money. That's why Mm. all these corporations are taking it uh, behind your back without you knowing. But the the, the overall... idea here is that you should be the one who is making these determinations and should control where your data goes and to whom and for what reasons. And that is generally not the case now in North America. Right. Just Drew writes, sad truth is the metadata will always be attached to everything. Exactly. Yeah, pretty much. That's the metadata. Yeah. So, okay, so what's, what's with, the problem with yeah, lesbian? Yeah, what's the problem with the word lesbian on Google exactly? <laughs> so this was uh, an article in, in the Guardian uh, newspaper, and they, they open up with like a quote saying, like, how comfortable would you feel typing the word lesbian into a search engine when you're in, in the workplace? <laughs> so if you have some reservations doing that, it's probably because you realize that for the longest time ever, if you would use the search term lesbian and do a, just a basic internet query... It would just come up like reams upon reams of pornographic videos mm. and nothing related to lesbian women, their community, their culture, definition, mm-hmm. any kind of educational resources or like outreach for uh, lesbian youth or whatnot. And um, this was a problem that existed throughout the LGBT community, but um, it was amended before for the word gay, for example, and the word trans. But for some reason, like the word lesbian was sticking around a little bit too long, where it was just retrieving a bunch of like adult content. Hmm. And so some activists started to do a little bit of activism and um, uh, public service announcements and raising awareness uh, on uh, social media like Twitter. And um, they uh, put a lot of pressure on Google to tweak its algorithm. So why is this happening in general is that these algorithms that make it possible for you to uh, do a search online is they're tightly guarded as to how they work, but we understand that some of the reasons or some of the ways they work is by having um, uh, people go to websites. If they go to that website and they see what they like, what they were looking for, and mm-hmm. they stay on it, that will give you like a bonus as to, um, okay, that's a relevant finding. Okay. Also, you could have relevance established by having other people cite back to your website. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if there is an article that's published by the New York Times, there could be 20,000 blogs that write about that article. Right. And they have a backlink to the original New York Times article. Right. So if you do a search, the fact that so many thousands of of blogs cite back to the original article, that one will come up first. Right. Okay, so that makes sense. So it's like a lot of traffic, a lot of like uh, information and, and people doing backlinks. Well, the sad... The fact of the matter is, is that the lesbian population is a minority and the majority of the population out there that is consuming content related to lesbians has a tendency to be heterosexual men that are looking at pornography. Right. But then it should be lesbian (laughs) porn should be the 
the Google search, exactly. right? Rather for it to come up with all kinds of porn videos at the top. Well, and you would think so. Yeah, you <laughs> would think so. Sadly, case. no. Okay. So they actually had to go and make a tweak to it. And lo and behold, if you do do a search with the, just the term lesbian right now, the first thing that pops up is a Wikipedia link that says, like, what is a lesbian? Okay. And then the second That's one more like it. is a cultural reference on, on my on my, um, on my uh Chrome browser, the second result that came up was history of lesbianism. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it was just lots of links to cultural references like the L word TV mm -hmm. show. So it was like way better representation of like lesbians as people and that they have a culture and a right. community and all that. So that's really great. And just to be clear, like this texture road, now they're going to ban boobies. We're not, it's not about a banning. It's about optimizing. It's about, yeah, exactly. And when you have, let's say youth or people who are questioning their orientation or, or are doing a project mm -hmm. on whatever the, the, they don't want to see porn, they want information. No, and information. that's, and I think this is where, uh, you know, information first, porn later, but it should be, if you're looking for porn, the word porn should be in it. Yeah. You know? And it's it's offensive. It's offensive to minority groups where if yeah. somebody just types in the name of a minority group and then all of a sudden it's, it's like that whole community, their culture, their history is all distilled down to a sex act. Like that's right. that's offensive. That's you know, offensive, that, that, right. that de demeans me, it dehumanizes me if you right. do that and I'm a member of that community. Right. Actually, somebody just texted, are we still allowed to call them lesbians? What do you mean? Like it's a term. It's that's a, there's no, nothing yeah, that, offensive about that word. <laughs> that, that one's still PC. That one's OK. Yeah. <laughs> That one's still politically uh, good correct. Good question, because people, you know, people often wonder, right? They ask me, like, mm. "Why are you saying queer? Isn't that a bad word?" And we say, "No, that's been uh, appropriated." No, we, we, yeah, we appropriated uh, it. We took right. it back. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so that's. That is not a complete solution, and uh, Lori actually has a, has a case that she could uh, speak to. Um, but uh, there are still lots of content now on YouTube and other platforms that are still being targeted uh, unfairly by these search engines where they're labeling anything that has LGBTQ kind of content in it as either um, not worthy for uh, uh, receiving ad revenue or they bury it really deep within mm. search uh, results. So it's like on the 10th page, you know, way down so you would really have to look long and right, hard in order right, to find it right. or they're finding a content is automatically getting an age restriction on it so you can only look at it if you're 18 years or older mm -hmm. and a oh, lot yeah, of this that's content right. that, that, that was my story yeah. know, I was trying to trigger that I was saying what, what, what story is he talking about well talk about your interview because right. it's actually a common problem right so on YouTube I did an interview on my YouTube channel which you could find uh, with a, a trans individual and it was just a, an interview interview in a living room mm -hmm. and asking about her transitioning and, and her story and all of that. And then I get an email from YouTube or mm -hmm. whoever saying that they took it down. They took my video down. They banned it or whatever. And I had, n for inappropriate content, I was like, mm -hmm. what was inappropriate about that? Because mm -hmm. I talked about transsexuality. Yes. It didn't make any sense to me at all. They reversed it. They put it back um, after I you know, told them, like, I, I had to explain, like, this yep. is, was an interview, I was trying to educate the public, like, I had to justify, but there's nothing wrong with it. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand how that kind of thing gets flagged. 
Well, this is just yet another example that display that demonstrates just how difficult it is to police the internet, and it's very, very hard to police the internet. And these big mega corporations in the tech sector are desperately trying to purge their platforms of uh, illicit content, child pornography, etc., etc. I et cetera. get that. And the means that they use, they use technological means. They're they're far from perfect, and this is why content if it just has lgbtq content in it sometimes it's mistakenly being flagged ah, as irrelevant okay. or as like so that was the problem that with that one the, right the, the problem with it and okay. as soon as you as you countered them and wrote back and said no that's not the case they were able to just say like right. oh yeah okay we got it because a human being actually looked at it right so fight back is mm-hmm. the is the answer jason uh we've run out of time next time i want us to talk about reverse image searching again because like i have a couple of stories for you uh, on that and we can uh we can discuss that. Whatever else in the new year that you bring us. Okay, sure. We could do more on uh, facial recognition and reverse Absolutely. image searching. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Uh, can people uh, connect with you on uh, social media? Yeah, for sure. So uh, you could connect with me on Twitter. My handle is J Behrman, PhD. So it's spelled B E H R M A N N. So it's Bear, like the paint brand. <laughs> All right. And, thank you. <laughs> and also on uh, LinkedIn, if you uh, reach out to me with a note, uh, I will respond. Wonderful. Thank you so much. We'll catch up with you again in uh, January. Uh, that's it for us, folks. Uh, thank you so much for spending your time with us. Thank you to our technical producer, Dave Simon. If you want to connect with me on social media, it's at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlori.com. Don't forget, you can send me your emails anytime. Coming up uh, next year on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion.